Hi there. It's a great privilege to be speaking to you today, um, continuing our Origins uh, Preach series. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at King's. And, and, and if I'm honest, I'm really, really excited to have the opportunity to open up the Word of God uh, to you today. And I, I've been praying and I pray that you will see something of God and how he's made us and how we interact together that would stir fresh faith and excitement um, in your own relationship with God and, and maybe a fresh excitement and faith for church um, as, as hopefully um, in the future we're able to gather in person. But actually, even now on Zoom, even now on YouTube, the living God is hungry to encounter you. Right now, there may be a spare place on the sofa next to you, physically, but, but God is with you. If you're a Christian, he lives inside of you. You're not on your own. And uh, I pray right now for faith to be stirred. I ask you and I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and invade and have your way and move among us by your Spirit. Um, I ask that. I pray, enable me to communicate well. Uh, but I pray more than that, Holy Spirit, that you would take your word and make it live. I pray there would be an energy. Uh, I pray faith would be stirred. I pray a, a, a fresh excitement for you. We ask that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Brilliant. So it's so good, as I said, to uh, be with you. Um, our Origins Preach series is looking at the first three chapters of Genesis. And as we understand what's going on there, it really does provide a brilliant foundation for living life because these are big, big themes that we're looking at. But they also, it also provides us with a great understanding or, or basis for us understanding the whole Bible because, because the word that the whole Bible is birthed from what happens in Genesis. So over the last few weeks, we've looked at some, as I said, big things. We've looked at God, <laughs> that he exists, that he is at the beginning. We've looked at humanity and how we are created in his likeness. We've, we've seen how God cares for humanity in both the wonder of creation. I mean, it, I mean creation is absolutely amazing. It is totally awesome. In the prayer meeting um, that we had at Hastings venue this morning, Alid started off by just talking about the stars and the moon and the sun and something of the wonder of creation. And when you hear some of these facts and figures, you just think, wow. And God put the stars in place. It's, it's absolutely amazing. But then even on the Sabbath, God, God cares for us and he's concerned that we have a right rhythm to life, that we have that opportunity to come and refocus on him. We have an opportunity to rest. Um, uh, and, and so we see God's uh, care and concern in these uh, key themes. Today we're going to be moving on and we're looking at both God and humanity and how we interact together. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 14. To 17 together. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God Form the man out of the uh, man of dust. Sorry, I'll say it again. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. 
I mean, in Genesis chapter 1, we've already seen how man was created. But now we see another new um, part to it. We see, a, we, we see something else, and we see something of the uh, intimacy of creation. Um, God breathes his life into us. God breathed his life into Adam. He sort of a... He became a living being from that interaction with God. We see something of being God's image bearers in it. Nothing else in all creation, the stars, the mountains, the oceans, the animals, the birds, the fish, none of them had the breath of life breathed into them, but, but we have as human beings. And then it goes on and says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant pleasant to the sight and good for food. We find here that God planted a garden in the east of Eden. It it didn't fill the whole of Eden. The garden was planted in, in a corner, in a part of it. And he put Adam there who he had formed. It's a little bit like Hastings being part of East Sussex. Hastings doesn't fill all of East Sussex. It's part of it. And this garden was to be Adam and Eve's home. God provided everything that they needed there. And God caused the garden to grow. It goes on and says, And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is the first time we come across these two trees. We'll, we'll come back to it again in a couple of weeks when we're looking at chapter 3. And so we find in the garden this incredible provision Uh, This abundant, abundant provision. I mean, I don't know what the Garden of Eden was like. Maybe it's a bit like the Amazon rainforest, but with no creepy crawlies or no nasty bits anyway that can hurt you. Um, Just this amazing, uh, incredible creation with everything that Adam and Eve needed with one small restriction. You cannot eat from this tree. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gion. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is uh, Tigris, which, Tigris which, is, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you, shall, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So in this preach, we're looking at the whole subject of God and humanity, God and people, and, and how we interact, how we're designed to interact with God. We start in the garden, but actually we're going to take a whistle-stop tour through quite a bit of the Bible. So let's, let's see um, where we go. Let's start with the garden. It's interesting to note in verse 15 what it says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, now those two phrases, they're not gardening phrases, they are ministry phrases. They're used later of the priests that were to serve and minister in the temple. To work is to minister, to keep is to guard. 
So you can imagine the priests were ministering in the temple. They were doing the sacrifices. They were lighting the candles. There was a Godward focus to what was going on, but they were also to guard the temple as well. Well, Adam was called to do the same thing in the garden. He was to minister and he was to guard. There is a Godward angle to what he was called to do. And then if you add in the mandate from chapter 1, verse 28, that Adam and Eve, they were to be fruitful. They were to multiply. They were to fill the earth. They were to subdue. They were to have dominion. What we find, and bear with me on this, what we find is humans made in the image of God who have received life from his breath, placed in a garden that will meet all of their needs, given a, a mandate to guard and to minister, to extend the garden beyond its present limits to fill the whole earth. Remember what I said, the garden was only in the east of Eden. So they, they, they were to fill Eden with the garden and, and, and then probably as well from chapter 1 verse 28 to go beyond that as well. And then if you add in that the garden is the place where God meets with Adam and Eve. It's, it's the place of God's presence. And so as the garden extended, so did God's rule and reign. So did his presence. That was to extend over the whole earth as well. And it reminds me of the promise in Habakkuk 2 verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the promise in Habakkuk is a repeat of, the, of God's original creation intention. We find God meeting dwelling with his people, which is a key theme that reoccurs throughout the Bible. But then, but then things go wrong. Things go wrong in the garden, and sin enters. And sin ruins. It, it spoils. It separates human beings from God. And we find God's original intention comes to a shuddering stop. It, sin, sin has broken it down. It separated Adam and Eve from God, and it has separated every generation since then from God. So today, 21st century, we are separated naturally from God by sin. That's, that is how we're born, every single person on the face of the planet. Whether, whether you may look around and you think, well, they're good people or they're bad people. No disrespect, that doesn't make a lot of difference. Everyone is separated by this barrier of sin, and God's original intention comes to a shuddering stop, but he hasn't given up. You see, later in the Bible, we find a way, we find God restoring a way for himself to dwell with his people. And that's through the tabernacle, that is through the temple. We see God rescuing people from Egypt and during their wanderings in the desert, he provides detailed instructions for the tabernacle. Now, you might think, what on earth is a tabernacle? Well, basically, it's a tent-like temple. In, in the end, in the end, there will be a permanent temple built in Jerusalem with big blocks of stone. But all the time they're wandering in the desert, it's, it's a temporary temple, it's a tabernacle, it's a tent. They can put up and they can take down as God leads his people. And there are multiple chapters in the Bible given over to the intricate details of both the tabernacle and the temple. The type of construction, the materials, the size, the design, the numbers, all in order 
And I want you to get this all in order for God to dwell in the midst of his people and for people to have access to God. I mean, this is absolutely incredible. This was to be the place where God dwelt with his people, Israel. And Moses, who, who was leading God's people at this time, knows how important it is. There is a point in the, in the story where he says, look, God, if you're not going to go up with us, don't send us up from here, because how will anyone know that we are your people unless you go with us? I mean, God's presence in the midst of his people is absolutely essential. This is what made Israel different from any other people on the face of the planet. God dwelling with a nation. He didn't dwell with the Ammonites. He didn't dwell with the Canaanites. He didn't dwell with the Egyptians. He dwelt with Israel. But it was predominantly corporate. The personal interaction was limited to just maybe one or two people in a generation. And it wasn't really like the garden. What humanity lost didn't get fully restored with the temple. It's as though the temple was just a shadow of something that was to come. A true, a better temple where sinners could meet with God was on the way. And it wouldn't be found in a garden and it wouldn't be found through a stone building, but it was going to be found in a person. Jesus said this about himself. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus is the true temple where sinners can meet with God. He's saying that that big stone building in Jerusalem is only a picture. The reality is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus clearly understood that he would create a way for people to be reconciled, brought together with God. What was lost in Eden would be restored in himself. The real meeting place between God and people. Jesus was the ultimate priest. Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus Christ, the ultimate temple. But it doesn't stop there. In actual fact, the Bible says that the church is being built together to be a place where sinners can meet with God. It says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and I will walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Doesn't, don't those words about um, God dwelling among them and walking among them, doesn't that remind you? Of Genesis 2 verse 8, where it talks of God walking in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden. The church, not, not a building, not, not the Hastings Centre, but a group of Christians gathered, scattered as the church, the place where God dwells by his spirit. That's what it says in Ephesians 2.19. This is incredible. Not just a few people in a generation, but any believer of any nation, of any background, a living stone built together in church to be the dwelling place where God lives by spirit. Wow. What was lost in Eden, restored in Jesus Christ. And then it doesn't finish there. We see it in the new creation. We see a city. We see a garden. We see God in Revelation 21, 22. It says there's no temple here, for the temple is the Lord God Almighty, God dwelling with his people. This is one of the big themes 
of Scripture. We find it starting in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, going right the way through to the end of the Bible in Revelation. God cares about us. God loves us. God wants to dwell with his people, and he has made a way through Jesus Christ. So where, where do we go from here? What, what's the response? What's the application? Well, if I can be honest, I think the first one is just to pause and wonder. If, if you're a Christian, just to wonder, to worship, to praise the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that he would want to dwell with us, that he would want to know us, that he would want to save us, is an incredible thing just to ponder and consider and allow it to warm your heart. The second thing is hope. Wow. What hope? I mean, I know that the, the COVID times have created all sorts of struggles and difficulties, but, but God has made a way to dwell with his people. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Just to, as Steve was talking about, ponder some of these big foundational truths. These, these truths are, are bigger, if I'm honest, in, in some ways than the coughs and colds of life. They, they, they're the biggest obstacles we can face. These truths hold us firm in the middle of them. And there will be some of you here today, if I can say with due respect, and you're not a Christian. You, you may be interested, you may be looking in, but you know you haven't given your life to following Jesus. Well, this, this preach, as it were, is an invitation. Get to know Jesus, the true temple, where sinners can meet with the living God. It, it will mean a complete turnaround for your life. It will mean you coming before. I think, again, Steve mentioned bowing the knee in, in worship to say, you are my God, you are my king, and I'm choosing to follow you. I'm choosing to serve you. I'm choosing to give my life to you. It's a costly thing. Come follow Jesus, come die. But the benefit... The reward is immense. To know that you are loved by God. To know that although you are far from perfect, I am far from perfect, he still fully accepts me because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's not that I make myself right before God, but Jesus makes me right. Isaac said it with the kids' takeover, God the builder. We get clothed in righteousness. I get clothed in Jesus' righteousness. That's what makes me acceptable to come before God. That's what demolishes the wall, the barrier of sin that came in at the very beginning of, of uh, Genesis. It's what Jesus Christ has done. In a few moments, we are going to have the opportunity to take bread and wine. And we're going to do it a little bit different. I'm going to encourage you to take bread and wine um, as uh, Kevin and Claire and Clive lead us in a song of worship. So we won't have the slide coming up or anything like that. You can do it during this worship song. It's, it's going to be playing slightly quieter because I'd love you just to have the chance to reflect on the uh, wonderful words that are contained within it. If you're not a Christian and you're watching this, could I say don't, don't take the bread and wine because it won't mean anything to you. Why don't you use this time to ponder if what I'm talking about is true? And if you want to know the living God, the creator. You can do it through what Jesus Christ has done. And you can use this song as an opportunity. Maybe you even want to 
speak out some of the words that Claire will be singing. You need to turn from your own way of life. You need to put your trust in Jesus. Even if you don't get it all, you can do it right now. And it says you will be born again. That, that God will come and live inside of you. I mean, it's incredible, I mean, to know his grace and his power at work on the inside of you. It is, it's awesome, it's wonderful, it's costly. I've been following Jesus for over 30 years. I would not change it. It's been hard at times. At times I've had to give up things that I, I really want, not because of some list of rules, but because I want to please Jesus. I want to live for him. If you're watching it today, you don't know him. This is a chance where you can do it. And for those of us that do, why don't we just use the bread and wine as an opportunity to thank uh, God for Jesus, to remember how costly it was for him that we might be able to enter into a relationship with God, God dwelling with his people.